Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today is a very special day because we are starting our new series, which is investor mastermind quarterly recording what we're going to do today is we're going to run through some individual investment choices that we have critique them as a group and we're really going to monitor these throughout the year and we're going to do one of these meetings every quarter so you can see how good or bad our choices are over the period of a year and these are really kind of more longer term investment choices so hopefully it's going to be good fun but it's something we've been trying to do for a while and it's sod's law that the uh, first time we do it is a very interesting time in all the markets shall we say so i'm very happy to be joined by two stalwarts of the broadcast adam lawrence and manish Kataria. so welcome guys thank you for coming on we'll put some links into the show notes of some of your previous episodes so that people can see just what you're about. Guys, before we get on to our picks for this quarter, should we just have a rundown of what's going on in the markets? Because it's a bit of a crazy time at the moment. We've just had the Fed kind of put their interest rates up by 0.75%. We've had the UK go up by 0.25%. We've had most kind of stock markets are... Uh, getting into kind of bear territory now. Um, recession seems to be a pretty high probability on the cards um, in the US and the UK at the moment. What are, um, Manish, what, what are your kind of thoughts on what's happening? Uh, well, uh, well, thanks for having me on, uh, Rod, first of all. Um, there's there's uh, lots, lots going on. It's an interesting time and probably a great time for you to be launching this actually right now. Um, you couldn't have picked a better time, I think. Um, there's, there's lots going on. So there's uh, you know, clearly inflation, right? So that's catching all the headlines and that's been persistent uh, for a while now. And, um, and there's also that being accompanied by you know, recession concerns. And more specifically, the, the markets are concerned that the Fed um, that's the U.S. central bank and and you know central banks around the world by pushing on interest rates too hard potentially they are, they are at risk of pushing economies into recession and and that's what the markets are really sort of concerned about so you're seeing that play out in the equity markets you're seeing that play play out in the bond markets and, you know property markets are always a, a little bit behind so we're not seeing that in the data yet. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are seeing some anecdotal sort of evidence around that. And, and the big thing really here is that, um, you know, the central banks are way behind the curve. So we saw all of this come through, you know, a year ago. And, um, you know, and the central banks were very clearly saying at the time, this is transitory. You know, this is going to be a short term thing. No one really expected this to be so persistent. And, and because it's been persistent, because they are now having to kind of slam on the brakes too hard, too late, you know, um, people are panicking around uh, the, the threat of a recession. So that's what's really behind why the markets are selling off uh, right now, in, a, in summary. And, and Adam, have you got any, anything to kind of add to that? I know um, we're a bit more kind of property focused maybe than, than, than Manish is, although he does, he does quite a lot of um, residential property, but any, any kind of other thoughts to add from, from you? Yeah, and, and again, thanks for having me on again, Rod, as well. It's always a pleasure. Um, I think what I would probably add is we're seeing a realisation of something that we've been talking about probably for the last nearly 18 months now in terms of inflation probably being a little bit more secular and a little bit less transitory, as Manish was alluding to. Um, there's some big, big decisions coming up around wage increases and things like that, and also the knock-on effect into um, benefits increases and government public sector payments in general. When September comes up, when they make a lot of those decisions and they use a lot of those benchmarks, it's going to be a really, really, really tough time for the government. 
Um, and I think the world is also at, at speed that it really isn't used to doing this at, particularly central banks. Central banks, I think it was Ben Bernanke that said it was 98% talk and 2% action or something along those lines. Um, don't really like moving at this sort of pace, which is, I think, what is holding the Bank of England back a little bit in terms of how quickly they're taking action. Although the markets are disagreeing and saying, right, that's, you know, we'll be at 3% base by the end of 2022. I'm still not, not so sure we'll get there that quickly. But the, the, the kind of longer term viewpoint that a lot of economists and market commentators have had over the past several years that, you know, COVID meant that the interest rate would stay lower for longer. Uh, it's kind of now been turned out upon its head. And we, we always do this. We tend to live in the moment. We live in the month. We live in the three months. As Manish was saying, property tends to take a bit longer to catch up, but we still haven't seen stock returning to really normal levels yet, and we've still got unsatisfied demand. So an off-the-cliff job is not very likely, although when summer comes properly, assuming people can get out of the country and all the rest of it, I'm expecting there to be the seasonal slowdown that always exists, and then 50,000 headlines about how this is the next, you know, the next volcano, the next avalanche, the next whatever. Um, when it's probably mostly seasonality. Um, but the world's adjusting to the change in the risk-free rate of return. And that's a, a key point, really, because you've got this kind of double-dip effect of, you know, private equity would be the best example. You loading up companies with very, very cheap debt. You know, the ideal private equity acquisition company that hasn't got any debt behind it, put some cheap debt behind it. And, you know, I've done, I've done similar in property transactions I've been doing for the last few years. Well, I was going know. to say, this is what our businesses are, really. They're private equity, but it's just we invest into direct kind of property, and that's what we do. We, we take on cheaper debt than uh, inflation. We try and fix it where we can at the moment, probably, um, to, to, to ensure that actually that's a, a bit more secure um, for the... I don't know, next five years, um, and, and with the thought that, look, if inflation does run hot, at least we're not affected that end. Well, that's it. We've, so we've got this, this, risk, this adjustment in the risk-free rate of return, however temporary or permanent it might end up being. Then we've got volatility. We've, we had quite an orderly sell-off, you know, since the beginning of this well, year. But now you've got people who are going to demand a bigger risk premium on top of a bigger risk-free rate of return. And what that does is it just sends equity prices through the floor, because it's, it's that double bubble effect that it has. Um, and, and really, when you look back at it, should the pandemic have made, you know, the stock market double in value over two years? Probably not. I'm talking about the S&P there when I say that, you know, but should we necessarily be going back towards the levels of 2019? Um, I mean, FTSE's already below where it was pre-pandemic because we didn't have that big hot run last year, but the S&P is still way ahead of where it was, um, or certainly 12 or 15% ahead of where it was before the pandemic really took hold, you know? And you talk about kind of an orderly sell-off, but like, I was looking at the VIX the other day and that's not particularly high. And I was quite shocked at that because I thought, God, this is crazy times and, uh, and kind of sentiment seems to be kind of really kind of changing direction a bit. And um, I was quite interested to see that. It seems to have been kind of, like you say, uh, orderly kind of sell-off and people were expecting it to come and, and this seems to be... And I think, I think that could be quite concerning because that still leaves the potential in there for a further big, dip, big swing down from here in the markets. Um, we'll see. But normally, as you say, the VIX tends to spike through the roof and then things happen, whereas this has just been more like, yeah, we knew the gravy train couldn't really continue. The S&P has done 90%, I think, in three years. Uh, 19, 20 and 21, you know, combined. And you wouldn't think that that doesn't feel right watching from a distance. There's been some stimulus. There's been some, maybe some efficiency savings, productivity gains from working from home, maybe, but not to the tune of a 90% bull run over three years. I don't think when you look at it in the cold light of day. Mm. I think what, um, I, I mean, that, those are all really interesting points. I think, um, 
you know, we, we've kind of touched upon this, but essentially, you know, Warren Buffett, I think he said it, uh, is that in the short term, the markets are a voting machine. And in the long term, they're a weighing machine. And right now, what the markets are grappling with is, you know, they're kind of trying to assign a probability to a recession happening, right? And if you think about it right now, and the markets aren't sure, they're kind of in that sort of 50-50 camp, maybe a bit less, sort of 30-40% camp. So, and, and, and look, we're not in a recession yet, and um, we might avoid it, right? I think the central banks are banking on a, um, on a sort of soft landing. Um, that could happen, um, you know, or we might have a hard landing. So if you have a hard landing, that's like a proper deep recession, you know, then we'll see that fix go up to kind of crazy levels. And if we have a soft landing, then, um, then we'll get you know, normality kind of coming back and a bit more stability and we'll get upside from here. But we're kind of in that no man's land here, which no one's really quite sure. And look, we might get a, we might get a technical recession. I mean, I would put the odds on a, on a recession at sort of 40%, I would say. But if you think about whether or not, I mean, the key call really is, are we going to get a deep recession? And I would say the chances are at the margin, no, because we've got, um, you know, we're in good shape, right? You look at household debt, you look at, uh, yeah, government debt's quite elevated, but corporate debt, household debt, it's still pretty, um, pretty reasonable. It's pretty solid, right? Everyone's awash with cash and, um, you know, helped by all the sort of handouts and all the rest of it. Um, so it's essentially government handouts to the household sector. And we're all in good shape. We've got cash. And, uh, and normally what you, ha what you see in previous recessions, you get a buildup of debt happening because everyone's very confident. They, they invest money, they spend money, build up a load of debt. But this time around, it's not like that, right? This time around, we're in good shape compared to the previous recession, i.e. 2008, we're in much better shape. The banks are in, in, a, in you know, much better capitalized. So we don't really have the ingredients for a deep, deep recession as we have done before. And that's why I think the markets are orderly and still trying to you know, figure out what's going to happen over the next six to 12 months, I think. Mm -hmm. I, think I think that's super interesting. I'd like to, I agree with quite a bit of that. I think though my, my probability on a technical recession might be more like 80%. And I think the big reason for me being quite so high is that the central bank, there, there is a, a bit of a tail risk of a recession, a technical recession with interest rates still needing to rise. And that's a very, very rare scenario. We know we're expecting in England and things are being priced accordingly that we're going to have rising inflation till the end of the year. The US thought they passed their peak and they found out that they haven't. And now they're in that sort of panic moment where they don't know where the peak is and they don't know how high the peak is. Um, then you combine that with this extremely tight labor market. You've got a set of circumstances. I've not been able to find an economic parallel for this in the past. I maybe need to go back several hundred years or maybe look more closely after previous pandemics and things like that. But obviously the data is not brilliant when you start going back hundreds of years. But that's my biggest concern is that, I mean, the reason why I'm so much higher than managed on the technical recession point is ultimately we measure things in real GDP when we talk about GDP. And that means growth minus inflation. And ultimately, even if you're getting nominal growth at the moment, if we're heading for inflation of 10, 11, even the Bank of England is saying 11 now, so 12, 13, let's say, it's so difficult to outstrip that level of inflation and, you know, we're already at nine now. We're six months away from the supposed peak. A lot will be predicated on what happens to um, the weather and how, how cold the winter is and ultimately what happens in the global energy situation. And my view is relatively bearish on the second one. I'm not a meteorologist and I'm not intending to be one, but on the second one, I'm, I'm quite bearish on the, the war outcome ending. And that's why I think there's nearly a guarantee of a technical recession. Yeah, I, I, I agree. My 30 to 40% was on a deep recession. So right, sorry, on, on, right. on a technical, yeah, look, we're, we're kind of there now, right? I think we've had two negative months of growth yeah. and the Bank of England's already ex expecting next year to be negative. So yeah, I completely agree with Adam there. And um, on, in terms of kind of talking about a recession, people often kind of think of that as the stock market will move in the same way and financial assets will move in the same way. but over the past, there actually uh, there's an inverted correlation between them. It seems, in, in, on the long, in kind of long term. So, 
what about what do you think will happen to financial assets then if there is a recession sorry if there is a deep, deep recession I, I would i would say kind of um it depends on you know how deep that recession is going to be so so typically what happens is you have a recession economy uh, economies weaken and uh, they go into negative t they contract and when they contract companies um you know they they see their profits decline or go into loss making and that obviously has an impact on the stock markets because the stock markets are a reflection of corporate profitability right so so in that scenario in a classic recession yes we'll have markets decline but what balances that out is the fact that interest rates will also decline right to kind of try and um, provide stimulus to the economy and when interest rates go go down that's a that's a tailwind for asset markets for property for bond markets for equity markets so it kind of depends it's a it's a it's a two-way pull right depends on how strong the recession is and how much of that can be impacted uh, sorry offset by interest rates and and really it depends look if you have a really deep recession no amount of interest rate reductions are going to have a big impact on a recession in the short term so so it really comes back to the question of how deep a recession is likely to be okay. yeah, i think i think you also said rob didn't you in terms of the inverse correlation bit is because these things tend to happen at different times mm -hmm. apart from anything else and there's a few really risky things going on at the moment but one of the problems that the central bankers i know will be grappling with is that they like to move quite slowly because it takes months and months for these things to have an impact so we're still now you're, you're at a time where you're reading record number of job vacancies being advertised versus rates moving up uh, compared to for quite a long time even going back before 2008 if you look at it from a, um, a relative perspective rather than an absolute perspective, these are some really significant rises and five rises in a row. And we look nailed on in, in, in the UK, six rises in a row now, let's face it, from uh, when, when August meeting finally takes place. Um, this is relatively, and I hate this word these days, it's so overused over the last couple of years, but it's pretty unprecedented. But I think there's still a big factor in the markets where they don't really believe a lot of the traders that this hiking cycle will continue because historically every hiking cycle always ends and you think about this is definitionally has to be true but it always ends with something breaking pretty much they're not being able to hike anymore so some of the money's being bet on the hiking cycle stopping more quickly um and therefore and potentially with that recession that managers talking about dropping the rates back down again. I don't see the central banks being able to do that with inflation already above 5%, let alone seven, eight, nine. So in the UK, that option's not there for the, the foreseeable six to nine months, um, if the Bank of England's got the, the peak roughly right. Um, in the US, we don't know because they're just readjusting to the fact they haven't passed their peak inflation. But what I will say is, their wages are going up a fair bit faster than ours are. And when you strip back some of those figures, some industries are easily seeing double digit pay rises, which is problematic because this is when you start to spiral upwards and the horse is out the gate. And the only way out of that is recession. It's just, as management said, how well can that recession be managed towards the soft landing rather than the, the surprise? And he's quite right in what he says, we go in in reasonably good shape um i don't know how much private equity debt exposure will cause a particular issue and whether it's enough for any of the central banks to be too concerned about or whether it's more one for us to be concerned about as well we're looking for companies to invest in really i guess hello everyone i sorry to interrupt i just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called signature property finance they are a bridging loan provider based in solihull birmingham the company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively for a term of between six and 18 months. 
They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product. They will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed-use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? In the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature do what they say they're going to do. Provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate, the terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all Rodcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the Rodcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the Rodcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. Right. Interesting stuff, but I think we better get started on our picks. Otherwise, we're going to run out of time. So I've got our names uh, in, a, in a cup here. I'll give it a quick shake <laughs> to see who can go first. And first up with their pick, God, this is very exciting, is Manish. Well, okay. <clears throat> right, so I've gone for, um, so I, I quite like the idea of income, right? So, you know, the thing about stock markets, it, you know, I always look at markets, if as long as you're diversified, and as long as you kind of hold on for the long term, you'll never lose money because markets in general have never lost money they've always recovered from the lows you know as long as you invest in a diversified way but you get the short-term sort of ups and downs which is kind of goes with the territory and i like i like income stocks because um you know regardless of what's happening to the markets you know you still get paid a dividend right you still get paid an annual dividend and the other way to do that so i i hold and by the way i should just mention to to your listeners that you know some of these things i'm going to talk about i am um, I, I am positioned in these things already just for full transparency. Okay. So I hold some. Div- I should just caveat everything. And I'm, I'm sure there was a, a message on the intro, but this is none of this is investment advice. So please don't take that. Please do your own due diligence when making any investment choices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this is not advice. This is, this only applies to myself because I've, you know, and do your due diligence, of course. So, um, Income, income. There are lots of um, dividend-producing stocks and ETFs out there. You can get, you know, sort of anywhere between five, six, seven, eight percent on solid blue-chip stocks. So, you know, I, I kind of do the screenings because you have to overlay the quality of stocks along with the dividends that you're getting, right? So, I, I do a lot of those already, and there are ETFs you can buy as well that you can achieve the same thing. Another way to achieve. Um, income is through options and options are really interesting because uh, you know I, I sell options by selling options you earn income and options are a bit like insurance right so uh, when you buy your sort of home insurance car insurance you're you know you're actually buying uh, an option through your insurance company you don't realize that but it's actually an option your insurance company is selling you uh, an option for a premium Right. And Warren Buffett does this all the time. He, he does options all the time. And it's, they are a great way to earn additional income. So you have to choose which stocks you want to sell your options on. Right. Or stocks or ETFs. And one I like is um, I like the U.S. financial sector. Um, it's trading on cheap uh, price to earnings. It's like 10 times earnings. So 10 times P.E. You get a dividend yield already of around 2 percent. 
and 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 it's primarily composed of banks and um, and actually uh, Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's company, is also one of the constituents of this thing. So That's it's the biggest holding, isn't it? I it's the biggest holding. Maybe. It is the biggest holding. Yeah, it's it's XLF. If anyone's interested, it, that's the ticker of the ETF. So it's U.S. Financials. Um, so so XLF is is you know I like it, and it also benefits from higher rates. Banks actually benefits from higher rates, um, as long as the defaults aren't you know aren't too um, aren't too toxic. So so I like that in itself. And what I do is I sell options on it. So what options do you can you can actually sell a put option on XLF. And um, I was just looking at the prices earlier. So you, if I sell a 10% out of the money put option, i.e. you're selling an option to, and you'd be buying it below market value. So below 10% below current market value. So if it gets down to those levels, you buy it. If it doesn't get down to those levels, you earn monthly premium. So, uh, you know, this is paying at the moment 1.1% per month. So it's, you know, 12% annualized. You get that, whatever happens. Plus you get the dividend, which is 2%. So it's an income play combined with a stock that I actually like. So, you know, selling puts on XLF is, is one I'd be doing right now. If you go for something that's 5% out of the money, you can choose your strike price. 5% out of the money, you get 1.6% per month. So, you know, 18, 20% annualized. So, um, plus the dividend yield as well. Uh, so, yeah, look, I mean, uh, that, that's that's my choice uh, for now. And, yeah. And what would you say the downsides of doing it as well? The downside, well, there's, there's two downsides. So one downside is... Um, you kind of get that FOMO, there's FOMO. So you kind of say, okay, well, if instead of doing the option, I might have just bought XLF itself. And you might have made a bit more money because if it just suddenly bottoms from in, puts on 25, 30%, then you might kick yourself. So that's one downside. The other downside is that if it goes down below your 10% strike price, then you're on the hook for buying it 10% below. And if it's gone down, say 15%, then you know you bought it 5% higher than otherwise you would have done but then you get that premium anyway right so it's a bit like buying um, buying something out uh, out of the money i.e buying it below current market value and um and earning the premium but your risk you know you are exposed to the stock if it does if it look if it tanks by 50 percent, you are exposed to the stock absolutely it's, i think it's just a safer way of of investing in something and earning income at the and same time and what would be the ideal scenario for you if say you were your stock price was ten percent below, um, what what would you be hoping that that stock price does? Um, if the stock price got down ten percent, then what happens is that you are because you have an option to buy this thing because you've sold a put option. That means you are you are have an option to buy. You're obligated to buy ten percent um, down from here. Uh, at that point, you want it to to rebound um from there because uh, you're old you're holding the stock now you're holding the stock if you don't want to take on the stock what you do is uh, you kind of roll the option so it's a kind of rinse and repeat process the best case scenario is you know it doesn't get down 10 percent from here and you just rinse and repeat this thing every month to kind of earn that one 1.5 percent per month uh from here so that's that's a good scenario um you know the not so good scenario if it tanks by 50% but you know you're only going to you're only going to pick these stocks mm -hmm. if you're reasonably bullish on these things anyway right okay. so so and and if you're a happy holder so even if it didn't, went down to say 20% from here I'd be a happy holder anyway I just tuck it tuck it away into my long term portfolio and I'd be a happy holder of this because banks as I said are in good shape mm -hmm. compared to 08 and um they're not they're not going to go bust anytime uh, soon like we saw in the global financial crisis so I'm a, I'm a happy long term holder of banks anyway and obviously you said kind of with rates going up that's good for a lot of these financials like banks I know there's Goldman Sachs Bank of America there's also like American Express. How, how does kind of the credit card companies, because in my mind, it's obviously when there's a recession, there's that. It's not, it's not particularly good for credit card kind of um, stocks because less people using their credit cards. But then on the other hand is, are then people going to use them and hit defaults um, and, and, and then charge more? So I, I'm, I'm a bit... 
I'm a bit torn between some of those kind of stocks that are more around kind of credit lines. Um, what's mm. What's your thought on that? No. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, look, for any financial stock, whether it's credit card companies, banks, you know, their biggest risk are, are non-performing loans. So bad debt, right? So defaults. And, and that tends to happen in a recession. So people lose their jobs, they lose their properties, you know, companies um, go bust, et cetera, et cetera. So that's um, in a really deep recession. That's a big risk for all of these banks. Um yeah, so, yeah, I, I'm, and I'm not sure how much sort of credit card companies are part of XLF. I'll check, but I don't think they're a huge it's amount. It's not a huge amount, but I mean, yeah. I know American Express is in their top 10 kind of hole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly not a massive amount, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if, you, if you're expecting a huge recession from here, then you probably wouldn't go for wouldn't go for banks. You'd go for something, you know, more defensive in that case. But, you know, that's not my base case. Adam, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, if you look at the performance of the, the, the financial stocks in 2020, they were extremely lacklustre. They were expecting big problems. Some of that to do with what Manish was saying in terms of when the all the thoughts were around very, very low rates, it's kind of difficult to, to squeeze as much margin as you would, you would otherwise like to mm. as a lender. Um, it's a volatile time to be playing with options, so I admire Manish's... Uh, gusto in, in, in doing that because um, sometimes good stocks get swept up with the bad ones if we do have some some down days we've had a couple of Fridays where we've lost five six percent off uh, the US markets and I think you saw some of that in the, the, the bottom of the COVID uh, very temporary recession that we had where suddenly there were some financial institutions yielding things like five and six percent um, but largely speaking I can't disagree with his logic that the financial services sector is in a far better place than it was in 2008, 2007. And what we're going to see is a, a rebalancing of margin between borrowers and savers, just how quickly that happens. And as he also correctly says, how deep, if, if whatever, uh, recession we end up having in the interim. So I'll watch that one with interest. Yeah. Brilliant. Just to add to that, options are actually, um, they're not very well understood by, you know, by the public generally, but options are a far safer way to enter um, equities than equities themselves, because, you know, in this example, you're, you're entering it 10% below, the, you know, current price. So, you know, as opposed to buying it now. So you get that cushion, which you don't get with individual stocks. Sure. Uh, so, so, so if you do it, you, you're right. If, you, if you're buying options, Adam, or if you're buying leveraged options, that's really toxic in this environment. But, you know, if you're selling put options, vanilla put options in this way, it's, it's actually a safer way of doing it than actually buying regular equities. Yeah, you're trading some of your upside against yeah. The, uh, the the obligation to buy for downside exactly yeah, exactly yeah. that yeah brilliant no, I, I I like it I think um, and like looking at the the underlying kind of stocks within um, within the ETF are, are pretty strong but they're also kind of they seem like you say price to earnings seems pretty good on those it's on average I think about nine um, so it's 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 not it's not too bad. Um, and they're all really solid, big companies as well. Um, Berkshire Hathaway has got a load of cash ready to kind of pounce on, on things if they do go down. So long term, that seems, um, seems really good. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good one. Brilliant. We shall uh, see. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will be we will be watching it. <laughs> okay. So next name out of the out of the cup. Adam, you're up. Was my fifty percent chance landed for the day? Jolly good. Uh, so I've I've chosen to have it's a bit of a a trend following play. It's a bit of a momentum play, and it's a bit of a play into the only sector that I think we can be reasonably bullish on at this time. So it's to do with energy, and I've chosen an ETF that tracks uh, oil and gas exploration. So not popular on the ESG scales. Um, but one that's done big numbers already in the last 12 months. The sector's obviously done very well. The ticker is IEO. So it's a, an iShares US oil and gas exploration and production ETF um, managed by BlackRock. And really what I'm saying when I go after something like this is 
I think that the oil price has potentially got quite a lot further to run. I think the gas prices have got a bit further to run. I've got this feeling at the moment, as I was saying earlier, we're kind of looking outside and it's quite sunny and we're not thinking about what's going to happen come October. Um, we have a, um, a, a promise, not a promise, but a, I suppose a, a pledge that's been issued by the US, which you'll take as seriously or not as, as you like, that they're going to say, they're saying, don't worry about Russia, we'll be able to provide you with all the gas that you need and wow. all the rest of it. Well, that's the, that's the unanswerable question, Rod, as you know. But even with some new LNG pipelines or whatever that might feed some of Europe, not all, um, you know, ultimately there's going to be a much more demand for exploration in the US as they want to stay masters of their own destiny. So I'm effectively taking a position that says Russia-Ukraine thing is not near its end as yet, and there's still no discernible way out that will be acceptable to the parties that are involved. Um, and also a, a semi-hedge on Europe having a reasonably tough winter um, somewhere, whether that's based on industrial action, because the UK is not going to be alone in facing all of that, um, whether it's based on cold weather, whether it's based on a whole number of things. I don't see a universe where this sector doesn't do particularly well over the coming quarter, basically, Rod. So not much of a trader by by my um, by my very way, but I think it's a good hedge against some of the more um, traditional stocks you might be holding on to, and you might have to hold on to for a couple of years to get your your losses back. Um, if we do have a bit of a take a bit of a bath before things get better. So is this is this more of a short term option for you than an investment? Yeah, you wouldn't be. Looking I certainly this long long. Yeah, I would be keeping an eye. I'd certainly be keeping an eye on this one and look to hopefully uh, follow the trend and or in the ideal world, try and predict when to get off the bus. Uh, yeah. But I think it would have a fair bit further to run. Because, I mean, it's at $80, uh, $80 a share at the moment. And uh, what are we? Is it? What's the date? Today? 9, 20th, 20th, 20th. 20th of June. 2022. Um, it has dropped by 9% in the last month. So it's, it's taken a bit of a, a hit there. Um, so it's, it's still up 32% year to date, which is, it's had a stonking performance, that's for sure. Yeah. Which, which kind of makes me a, a little bit nervous, I have to say, because I just, some, it's, it's quite, obviously it's leveraged to the oil price. And, and I, 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 your, your logic is sound, because I think oil is, um, a lot of capacity has been taken off and, you know, the demand is returning. And uh, yeah, so I think longer term oil will hold up. Um, the only thing is, is if we see this kind of small declines in the oil price, you know, say it has a sort of pullback of five, ten percent, this will probably go down by double the amount because it's had a good run. Plus, also it's got a higher beta. So that's the only thing I would be watching out for because it's it's just done phenomenally well so far. But it fits into that sort of inflation protection category for me, which I think everyone should have some of commodities and oil etc not not gold but yeah i think um yeah i mean even with the whole russia ukraine issue i still think there was a massive supply issue regardless of that kind of before that kind of came on there's no kind of capex going into kind of new um I don't know, oil refineries or or getting more oil out, oil out the ground so there certainly does seem to be kind of a, a short to medium term issue there um it's just if i guess the only other thing is how kind of price inelastic is this um is is, is oil and do and, and how will a recession if it comes along how would it kind of affect that will people just stop using it will people kind of i mean i know they need it in certain parts of the world to to actually live but I mean, will things like holidays drop? Will kind of like loads of long car journeys and all that kind of stuff? I know in the in the states they have what they refer to as their summer driving season. I'm not sure we we have anything kind of close to that. Um, so I, I I just I just wonder about that. Um, and um, and yeah, I mean I, I I I agree with all the logic. I'm just a bit concerned as to um, is has it has it started dropping now and. And kind of what what are we going to see in that in that short? Yeah, time? I, I, I can't deny the volatility points. I just see it as there is a lot more upside 
which could see this really rocket mm. um, versus the admitted sensitivity on the downside. Um, and I see two or three, and one or two surprise events. There's a few things going on. You know, there's a lot of question marks over whether OPEC uh, truly have anywhere near the capacity they say that they do. There's been some subtle changes in their language. They talk these days about targets rather than quotas. Um, there's the fact that the Saudis are quite reliant on the Russians in general, and as the biggest oil producers in the world, um, they have to be quite cautious in exactly which sides they're playing or not playing in this war. And as I said, that, that longer term pump that there's not a, a way out yet at the moment for the Ukraine incursion situation. So I could see it, I could see it going down 20%. I could see it going up 50, 60, 80%. Um, mm. it, could, it could easily happen. Um, and that's probably why Manish is quite correct to qualify by saying, as a part of a portfolio. But if I didn't pick something exciting, it wouldn't be a good show, Brock, would it? Come on. <laughs> no, look, I'm, I was kind of there. I, I mean, one of, I almost picked Shell um, for, for pretty much similar reasons. And I just felt, look, it's, it's, it's profits are pretty big. It's trading quite nicely and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I, um, yeah, I, 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 I can see exactly why you've done it. It's, uh, it's certainly an exciting one. Um, brilliant. Okay, so on to uh, on to mine. So I I kind of I I'll be honest. I really struggle with this. Um, I had a look at a few different ones. Like I said, I looked at Shell. I even looked at eBay, um, which is kind of trading on two and a half times uh, price to earnings at the moment and things like that. But the uh, the one I've settled on is actually, believe it or not, Facebook or Meta. Um, which is uh, something I never thought I would get. And I actually, I did, I did buy some of this stock um, last month. Um, the reason, first of all, let me tell you all the bad things about it. <laughs> so the negatives, really. Um, it has had a tough run over the last kind of six months, even a year. Um, it's had, its profits have declined by 20%. Um, it's had issues with Apple iOS is anti-tracking kind of upgrades. It's had some of its kind of top management leave, um, which has spooked the market a bit. It's on a bit of a kind of crusade to um, bring this metaverse uh, into the picture, into the foreground. And it's openly said it's going to take a few years. It's costing them $10 billion a year. Um, and at some point, that's either going to kind of pay off or they're going to realise it's not. So I almost think that's already been priced in, though. So even if it's not paid off, that's 10 billion they're going to start saving on costs. Now, they're, they're the bad things. The sentiment score. So it was, I think it was Global Shares, which is a research company, did a sentiment score on, on a lot of stocks. And in May... It was uh, lower than the rest of the tech sector by quite by quite a bit, um, which I thought was slightly unfair. Um, but its current price is very cheap. It's gone from uh, a 52-week high of $384 down to $163 today. So that's a, a massive drop. Um, it's still a really good company. Um, its price is currently lower than it was in 2018, but that was when its revenue was under half what it is at the moment and profits were much lower. Um, so I, I like it. I think it scores really well on value at the moment. I think it scores really well as being a quality company. So it's, it's going to make money. It's going to make recurring revenues. Um, the other issue I can see is it might be seen kind of it's got some competition with TikTok and and younger audiences kind of going elsewhere and I also think it's got younger talent probably going elsewhere because I think these uh, superstar kind of brainiacs in San Francisco might uh, might want to go to newer companies so I'm not sure about uh, there's been some issues around kind of its culture and things like that so whether that kind of can affect it but at the end of the day it's a really big, great company making huge, huge profits. 
and it's trading at just over 11 times kind of price to earnings. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a was an interesting one. What do you, what do you guys think? Well, it's it. First thing, it's interesting. You've gone for a bit of a distressed play here, and uh, and Adam went for a momentum play. So you know, it's uh, you, you two are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. I I hope. Look, I hope Facebook survives because I like using Facebook. And actually, if it wasn't for Facebook, the three of us wouldn't know each other, really, would we? It's uh, it's <laughs> it's um. Look, it's. I think it's useful. Um, I think there are some concerns that you mentioned them. There are concerns that it's going to get competed away, newer platforms on the scene, and um, you know, is it still going to be relevant in you know three five well, years time? I think that's one of the concerns. Just to answer that point, um, it does own seventy four companies. Mm. So when we're talking about Meta, it's not just Facebook although that is the one that obviously is, 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 is the most profitable at the moment, but I totally agree. I think it will start to play out, but what they're putting money into, um, some of that, there's another one called, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but Real Logic or something like that, Logic Reality, which is another big one that's coming up that they own as well. Um, obviously, Instagram and, and WhatsApp are there. Um, they're putting a lot of money into their reels part to try and combat what TikTok is. So I don't think it's going to kind of meta is going to disappear, whereas Facebook over the long, long term mm. may do, but it's still making a lot of profit. And although its, it's user base isn't growing as much, that's why I'm kind of seeing it as more of a, more of a value um, investment rather than kind of a growth investment which is what these tech stocks typically in the past kind of few years have, have been seen at um, but yeah it sounds like you've got some other concerns Manish. Uh, no I mean that was really the only one I mean I, I look I, I don't follow it too closely most of the time I'm, I'm investing in sort of ETFs and 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 options so I don't really invest in individual stocks that much although I have one or two which I do invest in but this one I'm not I'm not that I haven't followed it but um, and I was just whilst you were talking I was pulling up the chart on my phone and yeah it's what down 50 odd percent year to date and um, so there are some deep concerns that the market has because tech, tech as a whole is down 25, 30% year to date. So it's really underperformed. So that, so that suggests there are some more deep seated concerns about this, which you've all, I know you've already highlighted. Um, the, the key thing is, is, is it going to keep being relevant? And, you know, it has to put money into these new emerging technologies right and 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 trends so that's the key thing will that pull off so i don't i don't know actually but it's worth the punt look 12 12 times earnings um as a contrarian play i don't see a huge amount wrong with it to be honest i don't know i like i like the idea of going into the nasdaq and looking for a bit of value and when you look closely at some of these companies you see that you know, a lot of that pricing, you made the point about the price being lower than 2018, although the revenue is galactically larger. So much has been priced in for future growth that when the growthers jump off the bandwagon, they sometimes leave a bit of food on the table. And that's what's happening here. I mean, they've obviously done quite a lot in the past 12, 18 months. You know, they've tried to take Zoom on, then they've tried to take TikTok on, as you've said. Um, but they, they, they do have that sort of all these things under one roof. You can still use Facebook even on its own for a, a number of different things if you compartmentalize it. Then you've got all those um, complementary products, things like WhatsApp and all that data that they've got. And they're very, very smart at, at using that data. And I think rarely would you get to buy a big fat tech company at that sort of multiple. No. So I just think it's been so overly sold off almost. And, uh, and you know, there was, I, I don't remember how many years, but I want to say about, you know, well, I don't know how many years Apple had been public for, probably 30 plus years. And Warren Buffett always said, you don't invest in stuff you don't understand. And then when he did one of his famous about turns on his famous rules of investing, the, the, the bottom line is Apple was making so much money. It was throwing off so much cash. He saw something that you could then start to value as a behemoth. And, and one of the interesting things about conglomerates, because at 74 companies, you definitely qualify as a conglomerate, let's face it, is they often trade below their book value of their individual parts if they were separated. You know, 
This has happened to Berkshire quite a number of times. It probably is today trading below if you take out the solar panel specialist that they own and you take out or a lot of the other companies and you value them at the average PE in their own individual marketplaces, um, especially when I think it lost 10% on Friday or nearly 10% Berkshire did. So the same can apply to these um, tech conglomerates if you can strip out. It's not, we're not in a world anymore where Facebook or Meta just gets valued on eyeballs. You know, it has value components. It has growth components. Um, it's almost an ETF in itself, although obviously they're still subject to the overall governance of the, of the group. Um, so I think it's a good pick, and I think it's a brave man to pick something that's, that's down 50%, but let's face it, we'd always prefer to uh, pick up the cigar butts or whatever you want to call it, rather than uh, go after the, the trend is your friend, but not at the end, right? So let's, let's see what happens. Absolutely, that is that is always the uh, the concern. Maybe I think what I what I would say just to finish off on that bet between the three of us, the, these these three picks, I think they are three ingredients of a great portfolio. Actually, so um, maybe we should just adopt all three and well, see think, how the portfolio does. Well, I think we do that, and um, we'll definitely track how 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 they do all our picks going through through the year. It'll be really interesting. It's funny because when, when, I, when I wanted to start this, I had specific picks in my mind of what I wanted to do. The first one was actually a, an ETF um, for data centers by First Trust, which was kind of more of a thematic, um, sort of had lots of REITs in and things like that. And um, I, I love the idea of it long term. But at the moment, its price just isn't quite right. And I, I, I'm not too confident. But I do still think debt is cheap if you can fix it at the moment and put it into residential property and I still think real assets are as safe as probably you can get at the moment if you can buy if you can buy it with cheap fixed debt that's uh, that's kind of nowhere near where inflation is so I'm still looking at property um, certainly direct kind of uh, UK residential stuff. I'm, I'm not looking at it too cheaply because I'm, I'm a bit concerned about kind of affordabilities. But even this morning, there's been an announcement by the Bank of England about affordability tests on mortgages um, changing. They're just going to look at loan to income now. So they're taking out one of the rules about affordability, which is uh, going to be an interesting one. I'm not sure what they're trying to achieve by that, um, going on loans to income, because obviously as interest rates increase, your loan to income can uh, can be the same, but it can massively affect how much of your of your kind of salary or wages goes into servicing that loan. So I'm I'm interested to see the details of of that, but it's um, that could be a, a bit of a game changer. But yeah, really really interesting picks, and I look forward to following them and and catching up again next quarter. So thank thanks very much, Adam and Manish. Thank thanks you.